0: Welcome to Talks at GS, where leading thinkers share insights and ideas shaping the world.
1: Welcome to Talks at GS. I'm Richard Notter. I'm CEO of Goldman Sachs International, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Paul Farmer, who is CEO of, really, the UK's leading mental health charity, Mind. Paul, for a long, long time, has been a leading voice in the mental health space, and so we're really delighted to have him, particularly at this time, join us and and talk to all of our people. So, Paul, let's jump right into it. Obviously, we're sitting here in the middle of the coronavirus. So much of the world is Either in lockdown, maybe just coming out of lockdown, maybe just about to go into lockdown, but clearly it's impacted. It's impacted us all. And so, really, you know, two questions. You know, one, and you know, this is hard to obviously measure in a precise way, but you know, over the last four to eight weeks, because obviously this hit our population in Asia first, you know, just a growth in mental health issues you know, a crisis like this, how much does it sort of compound the mental health problem? And and then secondly, what are you advising people to do to try and mitigate the mental health challenge?
2: Well, thank you very much, Richard. It's really good to have a chance to to spend some time with you and with with colleagues. Uh, It's such a, a difficult, challenging time for so many people, isn't it? And so I hope we can spend a bit of time today just thinking about the mental health dimensions of coronavirus, because you're absolutely right, there's no doubt that coronavirus and COVID has a big impact on our mental health. And we've already started to see right from the very beginning uh, that uh, there is an important mental health dimension that we all need to pay some attention to. So the first things we started to see was that people were very keen to try to understand a little bit more about what kind of help and support they can receive and what they need to do to look after their own mental health. Um, Secondly, we then saw, and are starting to see in the UK and beyond, a rising increase in people expressing and articulating mental health problems. And we're now at the point of needing to think about how do we provide the right kind of help and support for both people who have got mental health problems, but also how do we respond more broadly? And So the first thing that we're really been thinking about is how do we support all of us to cope with this extraordinarily uh, unusual situation? Um, who, how many of us can think about the last time we didn't really, we weren't really able to walk out of our front door or go into our offices or uh, or go and buy a coffee without having to think several times about whether that's the right thing to do? So these are all extraordinary times, and so they have an already have an impact on our mental health. So. The first thing we think about is our, what we call our protective factors for our mental health. What is it that we, we already do that help us to look after our mental health? Um, and we've been giving people a lot of advice about that uh, in order to be able to increase our protective factors. Then the second thing we've been doing is thinking about how do we uh, pay some attention to the risk factors, those, the negative aspects of the lockdown that means we've got to pay some attention. Uh, and do some different things to look after our mental health. So I hope those are the themes we're going to get into in the course of the next uh, 25, 30 minutes or so.
1: Well, maybe we should jump right into some of these protective factors and some of the things that people can do. That'll be helpful.
2: Great. So, um, so protective factors are things that you and you, we would all think about as activities that we do to look after our mental health. Over the last few years, I think we've all begun to realise that we need to pay a bit more attention to our mental health, and so um, that's a really good thing. It's something that we haven't haven't historically done, but now we really are paying some attention to it. So the kind of protective factors we're talking about include things like uh, the things you used to be able to do. So if you're a grandparent, hugging your grandchild is a really good protective factor for your mental health, or maybe if you're a younger person, taking part in team sport is really good for your mental health. So all those things that help us sustain our mental health. So what do we do in lockdown when uh, those things aren't available to us. So first of all, we want to make sure, you want to make sure that you can connect to other people. Now, thank goodness for Zoom and Teams and all kinds of other, and house party and all kinds of other apps that allow us to be able to see each other and connect. Having those conversations and connecting conversations are really important. And connected to that, uh, being able to spot somebody who you trust, your friend, a colleague, a parent, whoever it might be, where you can have that conversation where you might be admitting you need to accept that you're struggling a bit and you need to talk about it. And the second thing we talk about in terms of our protective factors is making sure we've got a really good routine to our day. And the first thing that starts with is sleep. And we need to make sure we're sleeping really well. And we're thinking about how uh, we look after our sleep time. Uh, We also need to make sure we're having good Um, good good, good attention to our diet, and we're also taking advantage where we can, depending on where we are in the world, in uh, the physical activity that we're able to do. All of these things, good sleep, good diet, physical activity, are protective factors for our mental health, and there's things that we can do easily. And finally, the last thing we're hearing is people taking time away from their screens and from their, um, the news to make sure they're actually giving, having a little bit of time to themselves. It might be reading or doing a jigsaw or doing some art, just something that detaches you from the rest of the world. Those are the protective factors that we think we can do something about.
1: Yeah, so, so let's just stick with what we can you know, learn from experience. Obviously, we're sitting here in the middle of a crisis. It's an unusual crisis. But it's certainly not the first and it's certainly not, not the last. You know, as, as you said, the news is terrible and you know, if you turn on the television, you can listen to a lot of scary stories and those probably aren't helpful. You know, when you look back at previous crises, you know, what, what, what are the lessons that we can learn and you know, what, what's, what, what can we learn from that?
2: Yeah, I think we know that um, previous, previous crises are, are good indicators and the ones we've looked at are uh, the SARS crisis, uh, where for example uh, we saw there was an increase in um, the suicide rate amongst older women partly because they lost a lot of their protective factors like um, their partners or uh, their social circles and we've also taken we also looked at what happened in 2008 during the economic crash where we know that there were a lot of issues about um, uh, those risk factors where people were financially threatened and so what we, we, we know that resilience is a really important factor in being able to get our way through those tough times, being clear about uh, who we are, how we protect ourselves and where do we go to for help when we're struggling and also building up our capability to be able to cope with those tough times. So being flexible, being able to adjust to unusual situations those are all things that help our mental well-being, and those were elements that helped um, uh, groups and societies come out of, the, uh, come out of those previous, previous issues. So we, know, um, we do know, for example, that in 2008, people became terribly obsessed by looking at too much social media and trying to work out what was going to happen next. So actually just detaching yourself a little bit from that is not necessarily a bad thing and actually can, again, help build your protective Ability.
1: Yeah, I, I was going to touch on social media. Of course, you know, it, it, it can be a help and it can be a hindrance as you go through as you go through this period. What, what advice would you give, you know, people just generally in the space of social media and you know, how they should navigate and handle it?
2: Yeah, social media is a, a great source of good, but it's also a great source for ill, isn't it? Uh, how many times have we seen some kind of disinformation that makes us worry about something that we don't necessarily? Need to worry about. So, a um, couple of pe- two or three pieces of advice from a mental health point of view. First of all, um, make sure you really uh, choose your sources carefully, go to trusted sources of information. Uh, here in the UK, the BBC is very much seen as the trusted source, or of course, the, the, go- the governmental sources are most trusted. Um, secondly, when you're communicated on social media, um, choose what you're going to say. Don't necessarily say too much or too little. Um, and think about which type of platform you're going to communicate your your feelings to. A lot of people choose to think about their kind of professional platforms and their personal platforms. Um, You know, in your personal platforms, you can choose who your friends are, uh, maybe a little bit more. Uh, Be careful about who your friends really are in these times. Think carefully about how you want to talk about what you're doing, what you're getting up to. Um, And, Also, don't be afraid to uh, not necessarily always assume that, you know, post the perfect existence. Um, You know, we're getting a lot of people who are actually using social media to say, I'm actually struggling, having a bit of a bad time, and people are reaching out for help and support. So that's really helpful. At Mind, we run a digital peer support group called Eddie Friends. Uh, The take-up of that digital peer support group has gone up by 37% in the last three weeks. uh, More and more people just using their social network, is that that social media to reach out for help and support. And we think that's also something that's quite important. But don't overdo it and do detach yourself from your screens because one of the things we're doing at the moment is we're spending all our time on these kinds of calls, these Zoom calls or Teams calls. Um, And so uh, do take a bit of time away from any screen. Um, That's going to be quite important because it's not Actually, you know, it's not great to be hundred percent glued to your screen for the whole, for both your uh, your work time and also your your leisure time.
1: That's got to be great advice. And uh, yeah, I, I, many organisations will be in our position to the extent that they you know have the f- flexibility. Certainly, those in the in the services industry, we've got ninety eight percent of our people working from home, two percent in the offices. And you know, maybe a comment or two. And I think you've already touched on some of this. You, you know, a lot of your focus historically has been in well-being in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Now that the workplace has gone home, yeah, you know, maybe you know a few thoughts, and I think you've touched on the, you know, very important issue of you know, remove remove the screen from in front of you, um, to to give yourself some space. So, so maybe a thought or two on that, and then you know a second question. Here you know, we all used to you know be in the same building, you used to bump into people. Yeah, you know, there was a lot of supporting close proximity. In terms of reaching out, what advice would you give to you know people who are managing teams? You know, to make sure that you know, every team member, you know, however junior, however senior, is in is in good shape and you know do doing check ins to make sure that um you know that, that people are people are coping with the the stresses and strains of the current environment.
2: Yeah, it's gosh, it's, isn't it amazing how we've all had to adapt and adapt? We've adapted incredibly. I think in many ways, people have adapted incredibly quickly to working at home uh, and using technology. And some, uh, you're right, we've done a lot of work on mental health in the workplace. And of course, no two workplaces are the same. Some, some organizations have been used to, particularly maybe global organizations, you're probably slightly better equipped. You're used to working in this particular way with um, uh, with this kind of technology. But lots of organizations have had to pretty much start from scratch in terms of how they, uh, how they cope with it. So. Um, so so there's, a, there's a couple of things about working from home that we've been encouraging people to think about. And um, I think one of the actually one of the um, positive uh, upsides of the recent time is that we've been able to see a little bit of people's kind of human lives, if you like, in the workplace. We've had a few toddlers on, on calls. We've had multiple cats and dogs turning up on calls as well. And actually that's, that's a good thing because it's helping us to understand a little bit more about who we are as people. But uh, in terms of people working from home, we've produced our um, mental health at work website has produced a whole lot of information, giving you lots of information on uh, top tips for staying, uh, you know, comfortable when you're working at home. So um, the first thing is to make sure you choose your workplace carefully. Uh, uh, Sometimes you don't have a choice about that. We have seen a few ironing boards on display uh, to prop up laptops, but if you can choose a space that. You can kind of call your own workspace, so it's uh, slightly separated from other things you're doing. Um, secondly, uh, when it comes to um, screen time, as I said, do make sure you do take up uh, You don't just spend all your time on screen. Do take walk away from it. And one of the other things that's quite important is about your physical posture. So um, you know, think about uh, not just spending all your time looking at the screen. Do make sure that every so often, every hour or so, you do. Take a walk, walk away from the screen, walk off, stretch your arms, go for a bit of a walk, pick up, do some of the steps that you'd probably be doing in your office normally, um, just by going up and down the stairs or walking up and down your house, Um, and uh, making sure you get a bit of fresh air um, as well is also quite important. Um, And we do know that for people who've got caring responsibilities, this is quite challenging actually, it's not easy. Um, getting that balance right. So, um, lots of organisations we're hearing are being quite flexible about working times. Uh, People's partners are kind of, some people are getting up very early, some people are working a bit later. Just putting in place slightly more fluid, flexible working arrangements where you can um, uh, to make sure that you can uh, do your job whilst at the same time uh, taking taking your caring responsibilities um, very seriously. So organisations are adjusting and adapting, and increasingly the key question that people are asking is not how much time are you spending at work, but what are you actually producing in that time? How productive are you being in terms of the time that you're spending in work work time? And I think actually people are being incredibly efficient uh, in terms of that, but the downside is potentially that we're losing that contact time that we all value in terms of our workplaces are we not, we're not those water cooler moments? Um, and that's where chat facilities and um, informal get togethers, we're hearing about quiz, quiz conversations, uh, informal gatherings over lunch, where people bring your lunch to, bring your lunch to the, the screen so you can have a conversation with somebody in the same way as you would do otherwise in the office. So those are the kind of thing, tools and tips that we're finding are having quite a positive impact on maintaining morale.
1: No, I feel that makes a lot of sense to me I, it, because the context of the work too is you know is, is so important here yeah, normally you can see what's going on around you and you know, over time you just lose that perspective and lose that context and you know you keeping up or you're not keeping up what's everybody else doing yeah, and you, and you need some looser conversation and um less formal conversation you know to to get that context which which is obviously very important let's touch on you know really Two population groups, I mean one of you know the frontline workers, you know be they know in the NHS here in the u k or you know health services around the world they 're all facing the same challenges, and you know how should we think about them and and the resources that they will need to to get through this so that 's you know one population group and you know and the second, and you know this is really the beginning of our engagement with mind know from a Goldman Sachs perspective, it was really helping. Yeah, you know, with young people, students, and helping them, you know, build some of the tools that you talked about at the beginning of our conversation to help them through life. But put it into the context of, you know, parents at home, you know, working, young children there, you know, and these young, you know, teenagers, maybe below that, maybe a little bit older than that. But, you know, some of, yeah, you know, how should families be thinking about this? Because, yeah, you know, they're all going through this together, and you can see that mutual support is key but, but some, some guidance for some of the adults in the room is probably important in terms of dealing with the children. So maybe, maybe you know, health workers first and then you know, some tips for parents in dealing with youngsters and helping them, helping give the youngsters the right tools.
2: Yeah, so we, can, we have to hugely applaud the health workers around the world, don't we? Extraordinary uh, courage and bravery that many health workers globally are uh, putting themselves through. Um, uh, and here in the UK, the NHS I think he's rightly getting the, you know, the applause and quite literally the applause from people um, uh, for the work that they've been doing. Um, and we are part of a, uh, t- a three a group of three charities along um, ourselves at Mind along with Samaritans and the Shout Crisis Tech Service who are offering a, a bespoke service to frontline NHS and social care staff. And we do so because we know that um, for many people, this is a really tough time, um, and you probably need somewhere to go that's outside of your organisation, an anonymous place, to be able to get access to information, but also to access emotional and crisis support. Um, and so that service is now up and running for the NHS, and will be launched later this week uh, for care staff as care staff in the wider care sector. And in fact, we've been talking to some colleagues in other countries as well about uh, offering a similar kind of service to care workers. Um, And in particular, as as I mentioned earlier, we do know that the um, traumatic effects of exposure to a very, very difficult situation tends to take three or four months before it, the, the signs of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, tend to become visible. So we, we know that there's an immediate pressure on people because just emotionally, this is an incredibly difficult time. That doesn't necessarily mean it will convert itself into a, a, a PTSD type diagnosis. So our first job is to be there for people to provide emotional support if they don't have other people around them. And then our second job will be to think about how we respond to a traumatic situation. And we've been working with blue light workers uh, for the last four or five years. uh, And so we have a really good understanding of what it is blue light emergency workers uh, need to be able to uh, uh, look after their mental health. So uh, we're using the the tools, including a bespoke resilience programme to to apply to, to that group of people. Um, when it come, comes to talking about young people and, of course, the work we're doing with uh, GS, our, our uh, universities program, uh, of course, is a, a really important program both now and in the future. Um, and it, it's required us to think about how we link, how we do focus on, on young people and how we provide specific support to them. Um, and, you know, this is a important program because it's part of our ability to be able to be uh, truly available to all ages, um, but most students, of course, are not at university at the moment. They've all come home. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a student upstairs studying for his finals, uh, and uh, so I'm, I'm living that kind of uncertainty that many students and many young people are facing. Some, have been, some younger p- teenagers have been told, of the course, they're not going to have any exams at all. Uh, others are studying for finals and studying for exams. So. The first thing to, ex- to recognise is the uncertainty. Um, who would have thought that literally two months ago we would be telling our teenagers that they're not going to have their exams? And our, kind uh, our, uh, it's like the older teenagers, if I can describe them like that, our young people are going to be facing exams by sitting in their bedrooms taking these virtually. Um, so we have to acknowledge that uncertainty and provide support to our young people who will be going through that slightly strange time, it's it's quite difficult. For some people, they're feeling quite cross that they're not gonna be able to be tested because they've worked so hard. Other people may may not mind quite so much. And of course, that plays into what's gonna happen to your university place, what's gonna happen to your future career options um, uh, in this difficult time. So we have to recognize that uncertainty and be able to be there to support our young people. And um, our tips and hints for young people particularly Uh, focus on two or three things. The support um, uh, that organisations can provide. Uh, Secondly, how you use your screen time. We're back to talking a bit about that. But also, how do you uh, talk about how you're feeling? How do you talk about your worries and your concerns in an open way? Um, That's sometimes quite difficult for young people. Uh, Young people sometimes find it quite hard to open up about their worries and their concerns. So we need to be able to provide that uh, listening ear to our young people, do that in a way that is in a safe space, gives them a chance to talk about the things that are worrying them and are concerning them. And that's not a bad thing, that is a positive, it opens, uh, it allows people to to kind of pour out their worries and their concerns. And it gives us as parents a chance to be able to gauge um, what, what kind of state people are in. Are they, you know, are they coping okay with some of these challenges? Do they need a little bit of extra help and support? Um, And uh, and maybe, more seriously, do they need access to more professional services? It's important to state that, um, certainly in the UK, and I think this is the message we're hearing worldwide, that mental health services are still open for business. Uh, It's not as though they've all shut down. Uh, Mental health services are very much there. And um, interestingly, we've seen a drop in referrals um, for for young people, uh, certainly here in the UK in the last few weeks but we slightly worry that that's because some of the traditional routes to access are not a- open either. University counselling services, for example, or um, school counselling services are often not currently open for business. So we do need to make sure that we've got, uh, we're providing those signposts to young people to get the professional help and support if they need
1: it. No, I'm sure, I'm sure that's right. I, but it is interesting as you were speaking, I was thinking, yeah, this also might be a time Looking for silver linings where you know all of us you know learn to engage more, learn to communicate better, you know one spending in a very different circumstance obviously but but you know, there are many people who are probably getting to know each other again and you know, and learning some skills that maybe people have forgotten, so maybe there there will be some positive learnings for the population at large here because I know you've always stressed communication as such an important part of this whole you know, exercise in dealing with mental health issues and yeah, you know, we certainly will be learning some communication skills and hopefully hopefully, to the positive. But just maybe to end and to, you know, step back, you've been, you know, focused on this area for a very long time. And you know, if you think of your journey over the last, you know, 10, 15 years or so, it's just rolling the clock forward. If you, if you, if you take, you know, society's approach to mental health challenges, you know, how we deal with them, you know, and, and, yeah put it forward a decade you know what would your dream outcome be what what, what's a good scenario what's a what's a good aspiration for us over the next decade
2: well i do think there are some potential upsides from this terrible crisis that we've seen and uh in 10 years time i hope we'll look back on this period and see it as a moment where we sort of uh we we took a big step forward in terms of recognizing that we all have mental health recognizing that we all need to take time to look after our mental health in the same way as we've become used to looking after our physical health. Um, and that we've learned a bit more about ourselves and the people around us, our family, our colleagues, so that we can spot our own signs of poor mental health where maybe things aren't going so well, but we can also, we also know those signs that, of, of how we look after our mental health, how we build those protective Uh, factors around us that help us stay well even when times are tough and you know we've seen the most extraordinary things in the last few uh, weeks Um, you know people looking out for uh, older people for neighbors uh, acts of kindness and generosity these we know are acts that are good for our mental well-being and so if we can take some of those positives I think we could stand ourselves in good stead. Now I think there's some challenges to come but If we we were transporting ourselves 10 years hence uh, and having this conversation, Richard, I hope we'd be looking back and saying, actually, uh, out of a really terribly tough challenge came some real positives as we built our personal resilience and we built a society that paid more attention to our collective mental health. And if we can achieve that and make sure that the help and support is in place for people when their mental health deteriorates, then we'll have done a good job.
1: Well, Paul, that seems like a great note to end on, a note of positivity and optimism about the future. So, Paul, thank you very much for your time. You know, from a Goldman Sachs perspective, we very much appreciate the relationship and the partnership with MIND, and I um, appreciate your time today. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Richard, and all your colleagues for the incredible work that you're doing uh, You know, in, in supporting our Mentally Healthy Universities program and our work more generally. Your support is hugely appreciated. And Uh, We're really looking forward to continuing this partnership for years to come. Thank you.
1: Great. Thank you.
0: This podcast was recorded on April 20th, 2020. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part or disclosed by any recipient to any other person. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the recipient.